It's your pal Siri. You have found the Ambiguously Blind Podcast, where we are challenging beliefs and revealing abilities that make people extraordinary. With your host, a guy that's great at hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, 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 greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. Our guest for this episode is Michelle Spitz. Among many things professionally, she is a producer, voiceover artist, public speaker, consultant, and longtime philanthropist. And I became aware of Michelle uh, as an audio describer. But there are many other things that she has done professionally, and hopefully we'll get into some of that in our discussion here. Oh, and the name of her business is A Woman of Her Word, which is tremendous. Hey, Michelle, thanks for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting to talk to you, Michelle, because you are passionate about advocating for media accessibility. And I think that's awesome as a guy who has a visual impairment. And I thought it'd be really fun to talk to you about those types of things and all the the wild and crazy things you do in that space. I love to talk about it. Well, that's good because that's what we're that's what we're here to do. But before we get too far into that, Michelle, I have some kind of wacky questions. I want to get to know you a little bit better. Okay. Okay. What is your favorite type of music or band? Oh, <laughs> let me first answer that I'm a singer. So that's a very difficult question for me. You're a singer. I am a singer. Oh, I yes. did not have that on your bio. Okay. No, you do not. <laughs> that's my first passion. Uh, voiceover is my second, but voiceover very much has a, a lay, you know, sort of a kind of lays in the same space. It's melodic. sure does, yeah. Okay. Um, I would have to say oh, that's a really hard question, but I'm going to say I love almost all music. I won't talk about the exceptions I don't like, but there's very little I don't enjoy. But I think my 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 first love is probably R&B and soul and jazz. Okay. <laughs> That's, you know, I, I could almost give you, the, I mean, I'm not a singer, so I can't say that. Okay. Uh, nobody would mistake me for a singer, but um, my music tastes seem, I like just about everything too. And when you say jazz, is that like smooth jazz, old jazz, lounge jazz? Like what kind of, kind of jazz? I'm not, acoustic jazz is not quite my thing, but I love, um, I mean, I love the Billie Holidays. I love, um, Oh, gosh, I love Django Reinhardt. I, I love so many. It's such a huge range in jazz for me. Uh, but I do like melodic jazz um, more than just instrumental. But I do like lounge jazz. I, I mean, there's just so much I love. Yeah. It's, it's limited. For me. I get it. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm kind of the same way. How do you consume music? Do you like stream? Do you have albums? Oh, do you have no, digital? Very, oh, no, I'm very unique. I attend as many performances as I possibly can. Live music, yeah. Yeah, I'm at, I'm at live music all the time. I'm a member of uh, San Francisco Jazz. I've been involved with uh, funding t- uh, for their new facility, and I can't get enough of it. So my favorite way to take in music is live performances. But of course, I you know I play music at home, I play it in my car, but that really is the, the core of what really just feeds my soul. Awesome, well maybe we get together and jam sometime. Yeah. <laughs> What is something that most people don't know about you? Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. I didn't get prepped for this question. Hmm. Gosh, I don't even... I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit of an open book. I, I'm pretty transparent and pretty authentic. Um, yeah, you're a woman of your word, too, so... That's correct. That's correct. I would say... 
most people wouldn't, without knowing me very well, I would say I appear to be a very uh, strong, resilient person, which I am. However, I also have a very, very sensitive side to me. And I think that may not, um, yes, the work I do, of course, supports the fact that I have compassion sensitivity, but sensitivity beyond that, uh, much deeper than that, that, that may not always translate out into the ethers, unless you know me very, very, very well. Okay. Pepsi or Coke? <laughs> Neither. Okay. My next one would be coffee or tea then? Oh, both. Okay. I'm half British. I have to have tea in the afternoon and coffee in the morning. Yeah. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> okay. So you could have dinner with three people from any time in history or future. Who are you, who are you dining with? God. My God. Is that one of them? Um, can they, do they have to be alive? No. They could, it's up to you. Just three people. Plus you. Four top at, uh, mm. at the jazz club, maybe. Maybe, it's just, oh, wow. maybe it's just drinks at the jazz club. I don't wow. know. Wow. Okay. Wherever your, wherever your spot would be. Oh my gosh. My goodness, goodness, goodness. Okay. I think one of them would be Al Jarreau, who's one of my lifetime jazz favorites. I, I just, uh, my heart is so extended to that man. So sad he's gone. Um, hmm. I might say Tony Bennett also. Okay. Yeah. San Francisco uh, guy too. Yeah. Yep. Well, he spent some time here. What a life. What an incredible life. Um, gosh. Have you been in their presence for live performances yeah. by Al and oh, Tony? Many, many times. Yeah. Many, many, many times. Um, hmm. Hard to say. I, I probably, another person would probably be someone in, in, in film and, Maybe, um, oh gosh, this is very difficult. Can I come back to this? <laughs> That's okay. I have one more person at the table. I'm used to having lots of people everywhere in my life. That's okay. I have to really think we'll, about that. We'll cap it at two and maybe later you can come back and say, oh yeah, it would be this person. But if you're at a jazz club, you know, Tony and Al would probably be pretty good. Pretty Are good you start kidding? There. That would be off the chart. Yeah. Okay. okay. I'll finish the table if it goes just to music, but there's so many areas of my life I'm fascinated by. I would say Barbara Streisand. Okay. I love that combo. That would be interesting. But if we're in a whole other area, whether it's film or all the other things I do and dance, are you kidding? It's all over the map. Oh my God, this is tough. Much harder than I thought. <laughs> okay. Well, it's going to get much easier from here. That's all the hard hitting questions. Okay. Okay. And as we mentioned, you are a woman of your word, which is just a genius way to brand your business because that's what you do. You speak. You are in lots of things. I don't want to necessarily pigeonhole you here into one particular element, but I became aware of you through uh, audio description, um, which is a very close kin to voiceover work and uh, have, have seen a lot of, or I guess rather heard a lot of the things that, you, that you've done and uh, a lot of speaking and things too, but I, I just think it's a genius. One, one of her word. Did that just come to you all of a sudden or? That was a, a, that was a business name I came up with, believe it or not. Prior to getting into audio description, I had copied, writing it a long time ago in the UK and the US, and there were many things I was interested in my in my lifetime, and it actually worked perfectly for what I ended up doing. And it really is, uh, I am truly a woman of my word. 
because of the, you know, the integrity behind the words and, and the alignment with audio description and having a responsibility to tell the truth and, and what I can see and someone may not be able to see. And with the deepest sense of authenticity I could imagine, um, there is no better name. It just, it evolved, but then it, it morphed into what I then pursued down the road. But it was all about voice work and truth telling for me. Yeah, it's genius. Perfect. It's tremendous. It couldn't be any better. Thank you. So how did you get involved in, like, what's the beginning of the voiceover world for you? How does that start? Well, my, my college degree is in broadcasting, and I did not pursue that in my lifetime, which is interesting. It only came back to, I mean, I did things intermittently over the years, but I, I pivoted to another career in marketing for a long period of time in my life. And then by pure default and accident, which was the best accident that could possibly have happened, I, I have a very dear friend of mine who's involved with um, casting and teaching actors with disabilities who are often cast in big Broadway shows, television shows, so on and so forth. Knew a gentleman who was working at Universal Studios who was in distribution and he had a passion with accessible media. He used to be a, a vet. And so he, a veteran rather, and he basically was in the beginning stages of trying to be sure that all media was accessible to both deaf and hard of hearing and low vision and blind. And he wanted to meet me and I met him. And then he asked me to go in an audition studio in the studio in Los Angeles at the time. The proprietor was also blind himself and he had blind engineers. Wow. And I went that's and not, I, that, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah. And they're, and they're, by the way, they're not the only ones, but they are pretty much the main ones. And one has now ventured off on his own. who's a colleague of mine. And it was a very unique experience. And I thought this is an interesting form of narration. I'm not really a, a commercial voiceover person because I don't want to sell you something that I don't believe in. Mm -hmm. yeah. And describing visual content and, and what took place was absolutely fantastic. And then I came back and there were brothers that had, they were both blind. And it is their story about taking a road trip around the United States. They may lose their entire vision at some point they didn't know. And they didn't have the money to make their movie accessible. And it was screening at a film festival in Los Angeles. So I ended up funding the audio description. The company I went to did the writing of the audio description. And I spent three hours in the studio of something I'd never done before. And I walked out after I was done and, and I, I felt this extraordinarily euphoric ex experience as if the universe had wrapped this juicy red ribbon around me saying, this is why you're on planet earth. This is what you're supposed to be doing with this voice of yours. And from that moment forward, I quit my other career and the last decade has been all of this. And I, I, I have never been more fulfilled. I've never felt more happy. I've never tapped into my voice skills in that way. And it morphed into so many other things with using my voice for presentations and teaching and all kinds of things. And so uh, that was a gift. I, I, it came out of nowhere and uh, I couldn't have imagined this happening. That was going to be my next question was like, how did you, what was the calling for this? But I think you just described it. Totally by default. But I had been in the disability space prior to that one, because I have a brother who's on the spectrum and two, because for 10 years as a philanthropist, I had already been funding people with disabilities, uh, veterans, seniors, marginalized communities to attend the arts on my dime and, or be artists themselves. So, and even including seniors. So for a decade, my philanthropy was specifically in that lane 
Um, mm. So I've been already involved with these communities for the arts and then be able to use my voice to make an art form accessible was extraordinary. What does media accessibility mean to you? Like what's the overarching goal there? Well, media accessibility is changing, right? The terminology has been changing ever since I started this career. But basically media accessibility is anything media related, whether it is broadcast, streaming, theatrical, um, exhibition space, film festivals, uh, any sorts of promos, fundraising videos, anything that is relative to media, visual media, and then making that visual media accessible to people that are low vision and blind. And so primarily media, you know, it, people <laughs> people have used this term in so many different ways now, but people say, you know, digital media. I, I basically still like to use the term media because media goes across the board and I audio describe many different types of media. I've done it. I, I even um, did something for Pop-Up Magazine, their live magazine that travels throughout eight cities. And I audio described the backdrops of those live sort of media events that took place and people were performing or talking. So it's, it's, I've, I've covered so many different layers of what media means, but it, it is ongoing and the definition of it is ongoing as well in terminology. Yeah. And includes print and, you know, magazines, books and things like that. And it does, I wouldn't say in terms of what I do, that is not necessarily my area, but you know, right now there's a, a company called imagination storybooks and what they do is they take videos and they take books and they make them into videos and they make them accessible. I voice for them as well at one time. So in that case, yes, that's that's books coming to life in forms of video. And then the videos are used in the schools. So they're captioned, they're audio described. It's just extraordinary. So yes, to some degree, that is true. But a lot of the... Um, a lot of the text to voice and things like that is a little bit different. Um, and I've also narrated content for Guide Dogs for the Blind. I did that for five years. They're um, quarterly newsletters. So in that sense, yes. Um, but my wheelhouse is particularly uh, film and uh, broadcast and streaming and what have you and other events, fundraising events and things like that. And you said earlier that you felt this euphoric feeling when you completed this project you're working on. Do you? Yeah. Do you continually get that kind of buzz from oh, things gosh. when you complete projects like that? Oh, what a great question. Well, I do. And every time I finish a movie, I think, oh, okay, I've done it. You know, I've done it so many times already. It is the most delicious feeling to have finished a project and to go back and experience it with the audio description, to sit back and be the patron and see how did I manage that? How did I sound? Did I convey this in the right way? And then on top of that, which I think is even a much more um, extraordinary experience, is I've worked on a lot of content as well that is disability subject-based or made by people with disabilities. And this is multiple disabilities. I often have worked on a project and I haven't met either the filmmaker and or the subjects. And I will show up at a premiere and I have the extraordinary opportunity of meeting them in person. And every time it happens, it brings tears to my eyes because it was such a huge responsibility to tell their story in the best way possible that I could. And they were very close to my heart as I would watch a film, study a film, and then do the audio description, look at these scripts. Are we telling the story correctly so that we represent them correctly? It is, I, I think those are my most precious moments in this career of, of that I've had relative to this. It just, 
there's something so special about it. Um, and there are people that have gone out of their way to be represented on screen and tell their stories or they're the story makers themselves and <clears throat> very close to my heart. So when you complete something, do you sit down and close your eyes and try to understand what it, what it must be I like? Do. I do. I go back and forth. And when I make presentations or I'm teaching, I ask people to do the same. So I will close my eyes. I'll listen. Sometimes I'll walk in another room and I'll listen to it from another room and I'll think, my goodness, this turned out so well. Uh, sometimes I'm, I'm <laughs> I could be very critical of myself and sometimes I'm, well, that doesn't sound so good. <laughs> no, but for the most part, I am, I'm tickled pink. And yes, um, I, I go in, I do exactly what I ask others to do, which is to experience it as if you were a, a person that was either partially sighted or didn't have your sight and or someone who's sighted because I want them to know what it looks like and they want to understand what audio description is, look at it, see what it is, walk away. And did, did this honor that content when you close your eyes? Mm -hmm. That's what I want to know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people that, that listen to this podcast are in the visual impaired community, but there's, there's a good amount of people that are not as well. And there's some people that may or may not know exactly what audio description is for mm -hmm. or what it does. And I do have a couple of examples that I'd like to play um, that you provided of some of your work. Wonderful. The dance begins. Seven women in long white backless dresses to the left and two couples on the right. The women in the corps de ballet are on point as they move in unison, lifting their arms above their heads and turning together. Okay, so that is your voice on an audio description track for a movie. Can you tell us the scene? Yes, um, that is actually a movie that profiles blind uh, dancers. And that visual is a group of dancers that are moving in a certain direction and they have certain um, clothing on and what have you. And that content, as far as audio description is how they are moving their body so that someone has a visual of what's happening in that particular space. Because in, in, in the ballet where there's usually, I'm not a ballet guy, so don't, okay. don't hold that against me. But I don't think there's a lot of dia dialogue in ballet because no. it's dancing. Right. Right. So for somebody that, that can't see what's going on, then this and this was just a little snippet of it. So you go into details on other things and other parts, too. But that's right. This was describing their movements. That's describing their movements. And there's so much more to that particular film, by the way. That's a Brazilian film and it's a blind ballet company. So. For example, this I liken this, for example, to when I've done work in the museum space. You know, people are going around a museum and they're not necessarily taking in everything that's there, but I'm 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 visually describing what it is that they are not seeing, and there's no dialogue there, it's just merely an image. So mm -hmm. when we are working with just an image, then we are describing to the best of our ability within a time frame or time constraint or time code what it is that we can see. Now, that being said because of the constraint of time code sometimes in terms of the length, or if there was dialogue in this case, there's not, I say as much as I can in the given time I am given. And the grace of time is always preferred, not always available, but that's primarily what that type of content is. Yeah. So the idea is that if you're, you close your eyes and you're watching this movie, that's about a ballet, you have an, a sense of what's going on. Uh, and another thing I like to tell people is the movie, what's the movie with uh, Tom Hanks, Castaway, yeah. right? Where you've got 
a long period of that movie where there's no dialogue. And yeah. for somebody that can't see the screen, they have no idea what's happening. That's correct. What we're trying to describe there, what, what you're doing is there's, there could be lots of things happening, but if you don't see the screen, then you have no reference or no clues what's happening. That's exactly right. And if there is, for example, I worked on um, Tenzin Gyatso, uh, The Dalai Lama, which was a fantastic film, by the way. There was an enormous amount, I called a landscape space, and beautiful, by the way, that required an enormous amount of audio description so we could make this the most lush that it could possibly be, because that's really what it was. And I also recently worked on another project, uh, which has not been released yet, so I can't say too much, but it's a film about trees and trees at different parts of the world, how they relate to each other, humans, uh, longevity, really extraordinary film. And that required so much description, but also in the most detailed way to give that patron viewer that's there in that space, what really this is. And so, you know, a lot of this is, you know, it's relying upon extraordinary, extraordinarily well uh, written scripts, audio description scripts. And I have some terrific writers. Um, I do not write audio description. I edit the scripts. I share the scripts with my clients. I ask them to read them, review them, sign off on them. Not everybody does that, but I do. I want them to get up close and personal with me. I want them to understand what this means and why it means so much. So that when someone works with me and I give grants for audio description, part of the responsibility is to have this experience and walk through this experience with me so that you can share this with your fellow colleagues and understand why this is invaluable. And I will say one other thing. I tell people all the time, audio description is a language, as is open captions, closed captions for people that are deaf and hard of hearing. These two languages, as all other media comes, you know, and it can be experienced in multiple languages in multiple countries, there is no reason that we do not um, completely access these other languages of audio description, descriptive audio, descriptive video, everyone calls something different, and captions. This is, this is not a, an option. This is the way the world should be. So we are moving much closer in that space. And uh, you know, you'll see when I'm broadcast, there are a certain amount of hours on broadcast that are audio described. Some are not, depending on you know, uh, the mandates. And movie theaters now are required to have headsets where at one time for audio description they didn't in the past. You know, There's a lot of things that are moving in the direction and streaming outlets are now Pretty much most of them are saying, yes, we're doing this. They're stepping up to it. It's almost politically incorrect not to now. Mm -hmm. But it's also, you know, it's, it's morally correct to make everything accessible wherever you are, any form of the arts, any form of media. So that's really the rule, the, the core of, of which I think we all need to be functioning from. So once you experience it or a client experiences it or someone who is not blind or low vision, they then at that point are able to acclimate to why this is so important. What is generally the biggest pushback you think? Is it, is it a cost. financial thing? Yeah. Cost. Cost um, is laborious to some people. They, you know, a lot of people in media, they turn this part over to that post department, this part, you know, the third hand doesn't know what the first hand's doing. You know, it's just, it's been this way for a long time. They don't understand it because you don't understand it means you may not want to, you might not want to be doing it. It's just not a priority necessarily. 
And there's a lot of things that go into making a movie or a film or, you know, or something's going to be broadcast, depends, or short films. You know, it, it, it comes in so many different shades of why not and, the, <clears throat> and then why too. So it's a movement. And the movement is far more progressive and louder now than it's ever been in the 10 years I've been doing this. So I'm very proud where we have come and, and we, where we're going to be going. I, I think it'll be a much better space. You mentioned captions earlier. Uh, you mentioned closed captions. Uh, I know what that is. I don't know. What are open captions? Open captions are very similar to, for example, um, subtitles for foreign film. So open captions are when, you, for example, if you were to turn on, oh, let's just say, I don't know, any of the news stations, CNN, whatever, on the bottom of the, you know, the lower third of the screen, there will be open captions going across. So people that are deaf are able to read the captions. And by the way, a lot of people that are seniors or have low hearing and aren't even completely deaf want to be able to read that because their hearing's not that great. And for example, this is really interesting. I've been told by many people that English as a second language really appreciate audio description because they miss a lot. And a lot of that community uses open captions. So open captions is preferred for uh, the hard of hearing and deaf community rather than having to use a caption bar when they go to the movies or have to use an app or anything at all. For them, the perfect world, the ideal world would be to have open captions. Some people even have ASL interpreters on screen. Um, so they have, a, you know, they put that on the screen. So someone who, who is American Sign Language has access to that as opposed to captions. I mean, there's lots of things, creative things they're doing today, but that's what that is. I got to tell you too, in the world of captioning, we, uh, there's a show you might be familiar with Ted Lasso, yep. right? On Apple TV. And um, there are many, t- I, I love the show, but yep. there were many times where I would, they would say something. And of course mm-hmm. I can hear pretty well, actually. Yeah. Right. So yeah. hearing the, 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 Dialogue should be pretty simple to me, but I couldn't understand what they were saying. Some of it was because of an accent, and some of it was just because they said either fast or maybe there was a noise that happened that yep. coincided. And I had to turn on the captions to many times figure out what what they just said. So that's right. There's a there's a lots right. of applications for that kind of stuff. Well, that's true. And by the way, when I've worked on uh, certain content where someone with a disability has a very diminished speaking capability, but we want them to be speaking and they want to be speaking. We know that some people will understand it and some people won't because they're not as um, acclimated to it, right? And so in that case, we will perhaps use open captions. And as an audio describer, either I will voice it or somebody else will, right? So for example, when there are subtitles and or open captions and we're doing something that is subject-based uh, with the deaf community, I've worked on many projects like that too, I will bring in another narrator who will then voice the subtitles for uh, other people that are speaking in a, in a foreign film. And then perhaps deaf subject matters, I will have them speak because that's actually acting in some ways. I look at it as acting. Mm-hmm. And so they're going into character. And then I, as a narrator, my choice personally and my skill set is best suited for everything else, what we're looking at, the narration of it, uh, text on screen, credits, titles, what do they look like, you know, all these other things that happen. I have done all of the others over my lifetime in this career, but I've, I really feel it's better to differentiate those voices from my voice. And that way, it, it, it's digested 
I think in a, in a better way. So we know who's this person, who's that person. And so that's a, that's a whole nother layer of audio description production, but a very important one. Yeah. You mentioned text on screen. That's another reason where audio description comes in super handy that I uh, have used many times. And we have an example of that too. They performed live together only once more on the rooftop of their offices in central London, Savile Row, 1969. Don't let me down. That's just great because it's the Beatles anyway, right? But <laughs> um, do you recall what film that's from? Uh, yes, Eight Days a Week. The Beatles, Eight Days a Week. And what you were voicing there was the text that appeared on the screen. That's correct. Um, about what they were doing in that section. That's right. I work on predominantly a large percentage of what I work on are documentaries. So that was a fabulous documentary. And uh, my brother happens to be a huge Beatles fan. So I had gone to the producer directly myself. I approached him and I said, I'd really like to give you this grant and I'd like to make this film accessible. And they took me up on it. It was the first time they'd ever used audio description. I'm still working with that producer all these years later. And we went to the red carpet. Um, I brought my brother uh, to London and I, it's a moment I'll never forget. My brother won't forget either. And um, one, of, one of my favorite projects, although they've done some extraordinary projects since that I've already done, I'm still about to work on some new ones that are just, they're incredible. They're incredible. Oh, I love all my films. I love everything I work on. I've worked on oh, over 130 films in the last decade. You've mentioned grants and funding and philanthropy a few times as well. So are you doing this out of the kindness of your heart and your wallets, or do you have partners or people that you come together with to make these kind of things happen? Kindness of my, my pocketbook. I put money aside a long time ago as I started my philanthropy and uh, the arts and where I wanted to go with the arts. I think the arts are the healers of this world. And um, many communities are, are served by the arts, <clears throat> whatever art form they wanna choose as patrons and or artists themselves. So this has been my passion work and my passionate philanthropy for a long time now. So the majority of projects I work on um, are grants that I provide. I set up grant programs through film festivals, through um, New York Women in Film and Television, Women in Film in Los Angeles. I, I've done so much and I initiate programs and then I, then through the years, I'll stay on board. And each year I'll do opening and closing night of a film festival, what have you. I just um, did some uh, back, uh, the background consulting for Tribeca Film Festival to be sure that they could get as many titles audio described as possible. And I also um, provided grants for two of the projects and they were really wonderful films. And so this is leveraging philanthropy to bring awareness to the world about the importance of accessibility in media. And this has worked beautifully. Um, it, really did, it, did, it did what I needed it to do. What is it about art you think that's so healing? Oh. Hmm. My personal experience has been in my lifetime that what has brought me deep joy and deep relaxation and uh, grounding has been the arts. And that can be, and I have happened to be, as we talked about earlier, I'm a culture vulture. So I take in probably every art form, every lecture, so on and so forth. 
I think it's transformative for a lot of people. In fact, in addition to that would be, I would liken it to um, sports recreation, adaptive sports. It's an outlet. It's, it's a place we get to go and have an experience that takes us into another space and whatever that means. And that can, that can transform people into a thought process. It, you know, maybe a, a physical experience, whatever it is. Um, there's just so much that comes from it. And everybody's healing is different. Everybody's art form and preference is different or recreation or sports, but it is that outlet that allows us to connect. And then if you choose like I do, to go to many events where there's audiences, you get to experience other people, you get to share what that was. Maybe you bring a friend or a group, you talk about it afterwards. I think it has a social aspect, a psychological aspect, an emotional aspect, and a soul, a deep soul gratification and healing potential. And it really depends on what people resonate with. Not everyone's gonna resonate with things that I resonate with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's pretty deep, sounds like. Very. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think that's true. And all of your uh, philanthropy actions and your voiceover and film work and these festivals and all the speaking you've done, have you ever been starstruck with uh, somebody or some people that you've worked with? I would say some of the higher profile films. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I would say going to the red carpet for the Beatles and McCartney and Yoko Ono and everyone being there, I would say at that moment, yes. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And, and there's some other high profile films I've worked on where I end up going to a premiere or I have the opportunity. I just worked on the Dan Rather documentary and I happen to be a huge broadcasting fan, journalist fan. And I, I was, he's amazing. He's 91 years old. What an honor. And Frank Marshall was one of the, uh, you know, the producers on the film and, uh, you know, White Horse Pictures and so forth. But I, I, I think that was extraordinary. That's an end of a generation for me, an era. Mm -hmm. And I love broadcasting, but there's just so many things I've worked on. And really, truly, I think I'm starstruck almost every time I show up to any premiere because everybody's a star to me. Really, truly, they've told their story. And as I said, most of them are documentary driven. These people that show up, they've taken this kind of passion to make a movie, the filmmakers themselves and or the subjects themselves. I am really, I think, starstruck by everybody because they're, they're amazing people and incredibly creative and invest people in what they're doing. And so I really think that's the universal answer for me. I, I, yes, it, it could be this one and that one, but I, for me, I love people so much and I, I, I deeply care about people's endeavors and what they choose to put their love and energy into. I, I think everybody's a star. Do you think there's a day where the voiceover artists the the voices for that become the stars meaning the an audio description itself yeah that they're celebrated the way that um others in that in the film would be celebrated morgan freeman you mean <laughs> it's a good example yeah yeah well i know for example um they have used um uh, high-end talent, for example, to do certain things. They worked on a project recently. I think um, Ali Stroker narrated it for a music video. And in the past, I think, was it, I don't know if it was Bush. I think Bush might have narrated a, a Christmas uh, documentary audio described. I, it, it goes way back. But that being said, you know, there are awards. There's an organization called the Sovis Awards, and they give awards for people uh, in the voiceover space. And they've just sort of 
gone into the audio description space. I worked with them two years ago, helping with some of that. And now that's grown even bigger. So now that that's a space where audio uh, describers, narrators, and so forth will be recognized. So I think that in many ways, yes, I, I would say at some point there are some narrators that are more well-known than others. And in addition to that, just like audiobook narrators, people have their favorites. They align with a the voice. They like that voice. They want to continue to hear that voice. And they have a relationship with that voice as far as what they want to um, take in and absorb. So I think, you know, one person might find this person extraordinary and, and this person's very well known. Another person may say, well, I really like this person. So, you know, there's a top of the, the froth there. And then there are some other very talented people that are trickling down. And, and I think there'll be more and more and more. So one day, hopefully we'll see, um, maybe one day it'll be recognized in, in a higher space than we even know. But I think that's the direction things are going in. And, you know, for example, even the Academy Awards, I was responsible for initiating audio description for the first Academy Awards, the 92nd Academy Awards. I lined with them for four months and I was consulting in the background and that was the first audio described award show. And after that, all the award shows are now being audio described. Yeah. Are you reading my notes, by the way? Because that was my next thing. <laughs> I was actually was going to mention was the Academy. I'm navigating. Award. I'm just navigating all over the map. <laughs> well, I had it that it was the 93rd Academy Awards, though. Was it? I thought it was the 92nd. I have to go back and look. Maybe it was That's fine. Uh, you're no, probably might have been, you're, might have been that. Might you're probably been that. right. But what? So give me your what happens there. What was your involvement? How, and how did that? How did that? How was that initiated? Well, I had reached out to the head of the Academy. It took a, quite a while. I worked with someone else to work with me on that. And eventually we were able to get to the right people. And of course, that's also a very large chain of, uh, oh, you know, events that takes place there and different people involved. And we finally got to the right people. And then I aligned with them and, and I, I aligned the company that was going to do the audio description. Um, I am not a live audio description narrator, meaning that I don't do it in live space. I do record it. So for that type of an event, you need a live describer. That's actually somewhere in that space that's recording off site, but is doing it in live time. And I was offering to fund it as well. It was a philanthropic endeavor. And th there were some, uh, should we say, some moving around of uh, how this was going to play out in the end. What's most important is that it was done. And these conversations were already well in place because of my efforts. Yeah. Now, as I said, now it's mainstay. The Tonys were audio described. The Emmys were audio described. It's pretty extraordinary. The only other show I know that was audio described was the Country Music Awards because that was not in live time. That was pre-recorded, from what I gather. But we are moving in such a great space. So whatever efforts I've made, however they played out, I know they played their part, and I'm really proud to see what comes thereafter. And technology is very important in this whole thing too. I mean, with without the technology, we're we're not as far as we are today by any stretch, right? Yep. Nope, nope, nope. And I'll tell you the other thing that has taken place, of course, which most people are aware of, but given the pandemic and, oh gosh, you know, all these things that came into play in our world and our universe really lent itself to, I call it the inclusion umbrella of which we had to really look at all communities and we had to accept all of, you know, all the different diversity we have in this world. And that includes whether it's disability, sexuality, uh, you know, um, ageism, body image, you name it. Everything under that umbrella has now come forward and the world is having to look at all the different sides of this, right? Because 
That means we have to be able to communicate. We have to be able to communicate whether it's with technology or whether it's in person, whatever it is, and acceptance and all the things that make this world a rich space to live in. But it's still a work in progress, right? Nothing's perfect. Not everybody's had a seat at the table. Not everyone had access to the table for that matter and or the information being conveyed at the table. So now this is where this is where we're heading. So hopefully sooner than later, access and being able to be at meetings and to be able to be in a space somewhere, everybody will have physical access as well as access as far as technology is concerned um, for all different disabilities, by the way, right? Because so much is happening, even people that have physical disabilities in which you know, ALS or things like that, um, that are incapable of speaking at some point or not as well at some time. The technology now is, I, I just saw something the other day, which was just remarkable, where the recording of a person who had ALS, they recorded his voice while he still was able to speak. When he was no longer able to speak, his voice would speak through him for technology to his family members and everyone would recommend, not recommend, excuse me, recognize that voice. And so would he. So he felt more human and more alive. Hmm. What a remarkable advancement. It's just extraordinary. That is almost like an AI kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Well, if there's anybody that can communicate that, um, it is you. And that's what you do as a woman of your word. And uh, I do think it's incredible. And Thank if somebody you. wants to get in touch with you, one woman of your word, sorry, women of, well, maybe you should just say word. it. Yeah, I can't. I'm all tied up now. It's woman of her word. And my website is womanofherword.com. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. But that's okay. You say it so much better, which is no surprise because that's what you do. <laughs> as I mentioned, I've got a face for radio and I, and I have a voice for television. So... I am not in a good place here, but I'm working on it. Oh, I think you do both. You'd be great for both. Oh, no, no, no. All right, Michelle, it's it's been a lot of fun chatting with you here. And you uh, as well. maybe we could uh, get together on something down the road. Thanks a bunch for what you do. And uh, thanks for stopping by. Thank you for the interview. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.